You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. I'm grateful to preach to you in person, and I'm thankful to God for all of you. So um, we're going to continue the series that we begun last week, so please stand with me as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and mercy, wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us to be in Your presence. We thank You, God, that You are so marvelous and so great and so compassionate towards us, even when we fail. We thank you, God, that you have poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, and call you in our time of need. And so, Lord, now we are calling you to open our hearts and our uh, minds to understand your scriptures. And we are praying that we will have a a willingness to leave from this uh, service tonight to produce good works to the glory of God. And so, Lord, we pray, have your spirit Fill us tonight, empower us to walk in your ways, enable us to do what your word asks us to do. And God, enable me as your servant to speak clearly and gracefully and truthfully. God, we submit ourselves in your presence and we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. To keep with the phrasing of the sermon title from last week, the title of my sermon tonight is The Gospel of Man-Centeredness. Every person has a worldview. Every person has a worldview. Now what is a worldview? It is a comprehensive perspective of life that informs a person on how to perceive, think, feel, act, and live. Or as others would say, a worldview is a set of presuppositions or beliefs or assumptions that one holds about 
everything, about reality, which comprises of, for example, epistemology, which means beliefs about the nature, origin, and even limits of human knowledge. Metaphysics, for example, which means beliefs about what is even real. A cosmology, which means beliefs about the origins of the universe and all of creation. Teleology, which means beliefs about the purpose of the universe and all of creation. And theology, which a lot of us should be familiar with, which means beliefs about God. Anthropology, which means beliefs about man. Axiology, which means beliefs about what is good and what is bad, so morality and ethics. I know I may have already lost some of you, but bear with me for a second. You may not be able to articulate or even care to articulate your epistemological, metaphysical, teleological, or theological views of reality, but you have one. You have one. Why? Because you operate and live with a worldview that informs all those categories in your life. How do you get knowledge? Who is God? What is the importance of people and relationships? What is the purpose? Is there a purpose to life? You have an answer to all of these in, in some fashion, to some degree. Maybe not fully fleshed out in your mind, but you live like you have one. And as a Christian, I would challenge that we should put the effort into figuring out what exactly is the worldview that we subscribe to. Now, there are many ways to describe this large topic, but a simple way to understand it for our purpose tonight is this. A worldview is how one sees and interprets all of life. Our beliefs, assumptions, and presuppositions inform our worldview, which results in how we live our lives. At this point, I want to immediately say that the scripture teaches that there are really only two kinds of worldview from which people can hold and or adopt. There is the Christian worldview, and then there is the non-Christian worldview. There is the worldview that is logically and holistically consistent, and then there is the worldview that is inconsistent. There is the worldview that is informed from God's revelation from the Bible, and then there is the worldview that does not accept the truth of Scripture as the final authority. There is the gospel according to God and another gospel according to man. There is the worldview that has God at the center, and then there is the worldview that has man at the center. And by implication, this means there is no worldview where it is neutral. It is either a good worldview or a bad worldview. It is either a Christian worldview or it's not. We can either live with God at the center or ourselves or something other than God at the center. So an example of this that we can kind of start thinking about is, do you think the government has a worldview? If you believe that the government is neutral, then I would suggest that you are not in agreement with what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible says that all people are either for the God of Scripture or against the God of Scripture. And governments, just like churches and families and society in general, are made up of individuals. Each bringing their own perspective on life or their own worldview 
of life. And the reality is that the net result of those perspectives will either be for God or against God, but not neutral. Now, just because, now just because someone doesn't have a Christian worldview doesn't mean that everything they believe and do is wrong. But it does mean that they are inconsistent in their worldview. For example, for example, the unbelieving atheist treats the murder of a person as a wicked thing in our society, right? But, but at the same time professes that human beings are no different than rocks on the ground because we are all ultimately just matter, fundamentally matter and nothing beyond that. They believe that you and the rock are fundamentally materials and nothing more. But they have a huge problem when someone pushes a person over the cliff versus throwing a rock over the cliff. One is murder and one is not murder. Why? Because they profess one thing but live another way. Do you see the inconsistency there? They believe that humans and rocks are fundamentally the same, they're materials, and we are just more evolved and more capable, but ultimately, fundamentally, we're the same, but there's a big problem if you kill another person versus throwing another stone. That is an inconsistency in their specific non-Christian worldview. The Christian, however, has an answer to this, right? We behave similarly, but believe differently. How? From a Christian perspective, we can say, we can say murder is wrong because humans have value, dignity, and worth more than the rocks on the ground. And the reason why human beings have value, dignity, and worth from a Christian perspective, a Christian worldview, is because humans are created in the image of God, the one who is maximally valuable. So to reduce the value of an image bearer, or to reduce the value of a human being by murdering them or doing something wrong to them, is to also, by implication, reduce the value of the one whom the image bears, God. Therefore, in the Christian worldview, if you throw a rock off a cliff, you probably won't go to jail for murdering the stone. But if that rock landed on someone and killed them, you most likely will vouch that person go to jail for manslaughter. For us believers, we have a consistency between what we believe and what we practice. So, by now you may have figured out that my intention for us tonight is to help us have a biblically informed and renewed mind and heartfelt passion for a worldview that is Christian. A worldview that has God in the center and not ourselves. Eli Ayala, a very good Christian apologist that I would recommend you follow for this subject, said that we should not be Christians who are waffle-minded, like waffles, all right? Meaning we should not live our life uh, in a compartmentalized way or a waffle-like way where my Christian beliefs won't impact or relate with, say, my education or my career or even fitness. I would suggest that we need to be pancake-minded. Anyone pancake lovers here? Wow, some of you. All right, great. Just me then. Where we, we want to be pancake-minded because we want the syrup of Christian thinking to invade all the surface area of that pancake. 
We need to have a Christian worldview that will shape every facet of our life. So to help us with this topic tonight, our one and only verse that we will expound upon is a praise break from Paul after he just spoke about about God's plan to redeem Israel. And I've heard and read from Bible teachers that this verse, this doxology, doxology simply means praise, from Paul is really the summation of God's word and that this is the Mount Everest of Christian teaching. So we are going to rely on just this one glorious, simple, yet honestly very deep and all-encompassing verse to instruct us on how to inform our worldview. And we're going to see how we need to leave the gospel of man-centeredness behind and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ where God is at the center of our worldview. So Romans chapter 11 verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So let's focus on that first part. For from Him are all things. For from Him are all things. Here's the first instruction that we can derive from Paul's praise break and really his worldview to inform our own worldview. Begin with God. It's very simple. Begin with God. Paul praises by saying, for from him are all things to mean that all things find its source from God. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is... God. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When we look at our world, our society, our churches, our families, and even ourselves, we need to begin with God. When we live, we need to live with the belief that everything is ultimately from God. This means that we cannot have a single area in our life where God is not the beginning. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we cannot have a worldview where God is not the starting point. If we say that we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then Christ revealed in the scriptures ought to shape the way we think about everything. For we know that other verse where Paul talks about how we have to bring every lofty thought and opinion under the supremacy of Christ. Our view on gender and sexuality for example, must begin with God. When you start to define that area in your life without God as your starting point, then you get to decide what is the starting point. And if it is on you, then you may end up like the unbelieving world who has a relativistic view of that subject because you, the creature, not the God of the Bible, the Creator, gets to define your body, your gender, your sexuality, and ultimately your identity as a human being. In the Christian worldview, gender and sexuality begin with God's definition of such matters as we see in the book of Genesis and elsewhere in Scripture. Not the government, not education systems, and definitely not Hollywood 
or social media. Now, does that mean we won't come across thoughts, feelings, and actions that are contrary to what God has defined in a broken and sinful world where human beings are radically corrupted with sin? No, of course not. Some of us know of family and friends who have an even championed a non-Christian view about this. But, brothers and sisters, please hear me. If you have a Christian worldview, it doesn't matter who brings it up, you will bring every idea and opinion underneath the supremacy of Christ. Or in this context, you will pursue to define such matters with a starting point in God because everything is ultimately from God. And if it's from God, He gets to define how His creation works. Your first intuition for these subject matters will not be to look at yourself at the creature or other people or like other fellow creatures for answers, but rather your first inclination as a Christian will be to look at God for direction for this subject. This is true for anything under the sun. When we talk about love, who should we begin with? Our understanding and experiences or God? If it is ourselves, then it is not surprising if some of us were to affirm a homosexual lifestyle. But if it is the God of Scripture, then we begin with Him who defines marriage and intimate love for human beings, which is defined to be between a man and a woman in marriage, a husband and wife. When we talk about abortion, should we begin with our understanding and experiences or with God? Because if it is us, then it is okay to fight for quote-unquote reproductive rights and argue for the woman's choice in deciding what to do. But if it is God, then we need to see what He says about the unborn and the mother. Dear ones, I cannot, I cannot em emphasize this enough. The moment we divorce ourselves from God as the foundation of the way we live, or in another way, the moment we suppress the truth of God that He is the starting point, then everything in our worldview is open for discussion. Because you, the man, the creature, the finite being, is now the ultimate standard who gets to decide what is good, what is bad, what is beneficial, and what is not beneficial. In our culture today, there is an assault on the very creational order between a man and a woman. There is tremendous relativism being championed within the pride movement. There is a massacre happening in the womb. There is a redefinition of what is marriage. There is the arts that allows for anything because it is art. There is politics where some of us are so far removed from what is the role of the government that some of us are comfortable to shake our heads in approval when the government seizes church buildings and locks up pastors whose conscience is bound to Christ in gathering together with the saints while COVID is happening. In the evangelical sphere of society, there are professing churches who employ emotional hooks to lower the fence as much as possible with elaborate stage props and narcissistic Bible teaching so that it is easy for an unbeliever to just, you know, cross over and become a Christian when really it is life and death situation. There's no crossing over. You need the Spirit of God to make you alive. All of this and a lot more happens. Why? Because we do not begin with God on all such matters. So let's examine ourselves tonight, church. In what areas are you relying more on yourself and your knowledge and your experience than on the God of Scripture? In what discussions 
Is God a footnote or altogether absent? What about your views on politics, social justice, education, healthcare, and also climate change? What about your understanding of how a church should actually function? How about in entertainment and reading magazines of, how, uh, of articles that gossip about celebrities? Is God your foundation in all these things? Who do you begin with when you make an opinion about anything? Is it God or someone else? This is something that we must ask ourselves. Brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to begin with God. We must anchor our worldview on the rock of truth to stand against the rain of corruption, the flood of lies, and the wind of false doctrine that come our way. And for us to begin with God, we need to know what He says about anything. And for us to know what He says, where do we go? We have to go to the Bible. Another way to think about this is to ask ourselves, by what standard do we hold a view about any subject? The Christian answer for all of us ought to be the standard of God, right? The standard of God. And if it is a standard of God, then we more precisely mean the standard of God revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Because that's where he speaks. Clearly. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. We know this verse as a church. We've been through this a lot. All scripture, and I mean all scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And pay attention to this in verse 17. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, and pay attention here, equipped for every good work. The Bible is sufficient for us to do every good work. Not just some good works, but every good work. The biggest problem in our churches today, and I've seen other Bible leaders say this as well, is not critical race theory, or socialism, or Marxism, or any other false ideology that is going to keep coming up every now and then throughout the centuries. The biggest problem in our churches today is biblical illiteracy. If we don't know our Bibles well, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, meaning our theology and our theological practice, will be unbiblical. Our worldview will just be unbiblical because we don't know anything that's biblical because we don't know much about the Bible. So, uh, so who we vote for will be unbiblical. Uh, policies we fight for will be unbiblical. The way we solve problems in the world will be unbiblical. The way we do church even will be unbiblical. Psalm 36 verse 9 says this, For with you, talking about God, for with you God is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 119 verses 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We can only see the world properly, our reality properly, make sense of reality in God's light. As the psalmist says, in God's light is how we see light. Or, in God's revelation is how we see everything else. And God's revelation, His word, is the lamp that lights up the path of life. This is the Bible's way of saying, uh, you need 
God as your source, your foundation, your light when deciding who to vote for and all the rest. Brothers and sisters, we need to live our life in the light of God. We need the Bible to inform our worldview. We need to begin with God. And God is not just the source of all things, or in our context tonight, the beginning of our worldview, but more. So let's go back to our main passage, or the main verse, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. So from, for from Him, and then what's next? And through Him are all things. Through Him are all things. So here is our second instruction that we can take from Paul's praises toward God to inform our Christian worldview. Continue with God. Continue with God. The God of creation is not someone who created the universe and just left it alone. God is both the creator and sustainer of creation. So let me take you to this passage in Psalm 104 verses uh, 10 through 15. And this is what it says. You, talking about God, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. God is actively involved in the natural world. Tsunamis, volcanoes, and hurricanes are not a surprise for God because God instructs ultimately what creation ought to do. It may sound difficult for us creatures to hear this, but God is in control of the natural world. You and I have our feet grounded to the ground and are not floating away into space right now. And our little blue planet is hung up in a vacuum, twirling around a bright star because God is sustaining both the earth and the sun and the Milky Way, right? And the, everything else in the universe. Perfect balance. And that is our God's sustaining common grace for all of us. And by common grace, I mean the grace of God that falls on everyone, even if they are not a Christian. Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 says this, For by Him, talking about Jesus Christ, God the Son, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God isn't just sustaining the natural world, but also the supernatural realm. In Colossians, we see Paul draw our attention to Christ and how everything is created through Him and sustained by Him, including the thrones and authorities and rulers and, uh, and all of those, which are terms used in Scripture to describe those with power. And in the context of Colossians chapter 2, we can see that it refers to rebellious supernatural rulers and authorities, namely Satan and his kingdom. The point here is to show that God created these supernatural beings knowing that they would rebel against Him. And He sustains them too. He sustains them. If He doesn't, right, if Christ is not holding all of creation together, then creation along with Satan and His host, all of us would just cease to exist. So this is very important for us to hear, dear ones. There is, there, there is no battle between God and Satan. 
Okay, there is no battle between God and Satan. God is the creator. Satan and his army are just finite creatures. If anything, Satan is like a dog on a leash. Okay? He can only go as far as God allows him to go and no further. Nothing exists outside of the sustaining power of God, even his enemies. Every, everything is dependent on God and nothing can exist outside of him. Daniel chapter 2 verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God isn't just active in the natural world and the supernatural realm, but also in human history. In Daniel, we see the reality, reality that God is ultimately the one who decides who is the prime minister of Canada. Who are the leaders of this world? How long Queen Elizabeth should live as a monarch? How long Doug Ford remains as the Toronto Premier? And the impact of Joe Biden and his administration in America and around the world. But the point is, God is the one who sustains all these individuals, whether they're for him or against him, because again, the point is, he sustains all of creation. And finally, a passage that is very familiar to all of us. Romans chapter 8, verses 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to His purpose. God is sustaining you. God, the creator of the universe, is sustaining you. Dear ones, this is the most comforting truth on which you can lay your head on at night and go to sleep. Ask yourselves this. What are you going through today where you have given up on God? What situation did you begin to pray over but after some time of not receiving an answer, you stop praying for it. What area in your life do you need to recognize the sustenance of God? Do you take a lot of pride in your accomplishments or success? Or do you recognize that you are where you are by the sustaining grace and power of God? When you go through valleys in life, does your worldview account for your suffering as per Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 where it says suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Is that your worldview? Are you continuing with God in your worldview or are you just beginning with God and then doing your own thing? My brothers and sisters, you serve a living God who holds the world together, makes the stars glitter at night, hangs the sun and moon in its place, produces plants and herbs and forests and luscious jungles with animals of all kinds and tiny insects that crawl on the bark of the tree and fills the ocean with all kinds of vegetation and creatures and puts wind under the wings of a bird as it soars the sky above. We serve a living God who is very, very attentive to every detail down to the smallest indivisible particle currently known to us. 
We serve a living God who has raised and brought down nations and rulers over the course of history. And now in this moment, right now, could you imagine how keenly the God of the universe, your heavenly Father, is observing and sustaining your life? Perhaps this makes you a little uneasy that God is so intimately involved in all your affairs because you know and like all of us we know how deep we fall short of living for God if that's you change your mind repent come to God acknowledge your sin ask for forgiveness stop doing what you're not supposed to do and start doing what you're supposed to do If you come to God with a true contrite heart, He will save you from your sins. Promise of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that God who began a good work in you, meaning your salvation, your sanctification, is faithful to bring it to completion. This is a Christian worldview. That we don't just begin with God for all things, we continue with God in all things. Especially when we go through the valleys of life. And even when we're at the mountaintops of life, we don't just rely on our own strength, we don't just boast in our own efforts, we always remember it is God who sustains and everything is through Him. To my dear friend who does not have a Christian worldview, as in, you don't believe that you need Jesus to save you from your sins, Do you know what happens to sinners? Or as the Christian theologian Jonathan Edwards would say, sinners in the hands of an angry God? Let me gently tell you that you are standing against the God of the universe who has revealed himself to be holy. And there is nothing you can do to be right with Him. It doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. You just cannot be good enough to meet God's standard of holiness. But you can trust in someone who has perfectly met God's standard. Jesus the Christ. And if you trust that He is God Himself who came in flesh, lived the perfect life that we ought to live, died for sinners like you and I, and rose physically from the dead and thus validated His claim to be the Son of God who triumphs over sin and death, then your debt has been paid. You will be saved and set free from the bondage of your sins. So trust in Jesus tonight and don't let it slide. Church, we need to live our life with God. If our worldview begins with God, then we need to continue with God. And lastly... In our main passage from Romans, it says this. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. We need to begin with God, continue with God, and finally, our Christian worldview needs to end with God. Needs to end with God. A pastor named Dr. Stephen Lawson preached a sermon on this verse once and he said this, From him means God is the source of all things. Through him means that God is the means of all things. And to him, God is the goal of all things. In another way that all things are from him means he's the architect of all things. Through him means he's the administrator of all things. And to him means he's the aim of all things. 
of all things. Or to put it another way, that all things are from His sovereign will, all things are through His sovereign activity, and all things are to His sovereign glory. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Psalm 33 verse 11, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. Isaiah 46 verses 10 and 11, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, and I will do it. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12, In Him, in Christ, we, the church, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to what? The praise of His glory. Creation proclaims the invisible attributes of God, namely His eternal power and divine nature. The counsel of God that declares the end from the beginning is to accomplish God's will in history, His purpose. And God's salvation is to the praise of His glory. In the Christian worldview, God is the goal of all things. The aim of all things. The finality of all things. And all things are to His sovereign glory. Brothers and sisters, please hear me. This is important. Your purpose is not about you. Or your wife. Or your husband. Or your mom. Or your dad. Or your children. Or your grandchildren. It has never been about you. When, when the world says that you need to follow your truth, your purpose, that is all anti-Christian. We cannot, as Christians, subscribe to that kind of thinking. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about God. The reason why some of us have a hard time dealing with this is because... We have become so influenced by social media especially to think primarily about me, myself, and I. The Christian life instead is about self-denial and laying down your life for God and others. I'll show this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 31 through 33. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. I think that's everything. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, great, what, but what does that mean? Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I, Paul, try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. So do all things to the glory of God. What does that mean? Dear ones, we need to question our desires and ambitions in life. We need to test our motives. Why do we do what we do? What drives us the way we are? 
We need to test ourselves and see if we really, really want to glorify God in our heart. Whether it is in our career, or the diet plan we just started, or the movies and TV shows we started to watch, or the stock we invest into, or anything else. We need to aim to glorify God. Now, does this mean that we have to over-spiritualize everything we do, like brushing our teeth? No. No, no, no. Rather, as one Christian teacher explains this portion in 1 Corinthians, you are free to enjoy. Enjoy all God has provided and free to abstain for those same things for the sake of others. Meaning, you glorify God in everything you do when you do everything with the end goal of either building up your fellow Christian brothers and sisters or seeing unbelievers come to Jesus. That's the ultimate goal in everything we do. That is what it means to do everything to the glory of God in the context of 1 Corinthians where Paul says this. The vision for your life cannot be short-sighted. You need to live your life with God as your purpose and, and, and an eternal perspective. Not just yourself or someone else or something other than God. As Christians, we glorify God when the ultimate motivation in our hearts in doing anything is to build each other up and save the lost. That, that's really it. So, when you are undecided on which job offer to take, right? You make a decision by asking yourself and those who speak into your life from a Christian perspective, which job offer will enable me to make the best gospel impact? Your thoughts around salary and benefits will no longer be about, I want a comfortable life. But they will be about supporting your household, and the Lord's kingdom, and ultimately being a blessing for others. To end with God is to do all things for the glory of God, and to glorify God, you do all things for the blessing of others. So, in the Christian worldview, you do not, we do not end with ourselves. We end with God. He is our purpose. He is our driving force. He is our zeal. He is our passion. And so now let us ask ourselves, what is my vision for my life? When I wake up in the morning, what drives me to go to work? What are my wants? Do any of my wants pull me away from God? Is there something that I'm currently doing that does not have the glory of God as my final and ultimate goal? It could be as simple as being lazy or getting drunk. The Christian worldview, brothers and sisters, end with God as a goal of all things. The non-Christian worldview will say otherwise. You live for yourself. It will interpret the data of our life without God as the final answer. We need to interpret our life and live our life with God as the end goal of everything. Now, now that we have seen the three ways on how to inform our worldview, let me show you a practical example of how to 
think through a subject with a Christian uh, perspective or a worldview. Marriage, right? Marriage. And when we think about marriage, we need to begin with God, right? We need a foundation so we don't look at someone else. We look to the scriptures to find what does God have to say about marriage, it means we look to what God says, and the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman to enjoy intimacy and to have children. And it is a picture of Christ and His bride, the church. Okay, we have a foundation. Now that we have a godly foundation for marriage, we need to continue with God in this area. So that means if you are a single person, you abstain from any kind of sexual immorality, or any activity until you are married. And if you are a man and are married, you pursue and love and protect your wife as Christ loves the church. And be the leader of your home as husband and father if the Lord grants you children. And if you are a woman and are married, you respect and submit to your husband in all things that do not contradict what Christ says. Just as the church submits to Christ who is her head. That is how we continue with God in the topic of marriage. Finally, on how to end with God in marriage. To the single people, ensure your ambition, your desire for marriage is centered on glorifying God. So what do I mean specifically? Desiring to express sacrificial and submissive love and respect to someone. You're pursuing to want to do that activity as a testimony for the world to see a picture of Christ and His church. And to the married couple, ensure the goal of your family life is centered on glorifying God. So specifically, desiring to edify each other in the Lord. So building them up in the Lord and making them mature Christians. And God willing, have children so that you can raise disciples for Christ from a very young age and together as a family, make an impact in the kingdom of God and the world at large. That is just one example. And there are many different ways to think about this, but with that lens of how our Christian world, we ought to shape the way we live our lives. And this can be applied to literally everything, from politics to entertainment to sports and so much more. The challenge... Right? The challenge is for us to have a Christian worldview about everything. We may not figure out everything tonight, but as Christians, we must, we must, we must pursue to have a God-centered worldview. Worship team, please come up. Church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel that begins, continues, and ends with God. We are all recipients and side participants and characters of that great story. The main character is God Himself. And the story, the narrative of the gospel, the goal is all about God. The gospel of man, on the other hand, is about us. It is weak and cheap. And some of us have adopted this kind of teaching in certain areas of our life. So we need to test ourselves in this. We need to unlearn it. Remove those lenses and be renewed in our minds. Brothers and sisters, we need to have the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate everything in our life. 
And to do that, we need to have a biblically informed worldview. We need to have a Christian perspective, a Christian worldview. And at this church, our desire and hope is for all of us to revolve around Jesus, around Christ. And what this means is, and I quote, to be a God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-leading, and people-loving community to pursue, to see all of life with through a God-centered and God-glorifying worldview. This is what we want to see in all of us as we deal with a society that is becoming more and more hostile towards Christians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit transform our worldview to have God at the center of everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that you've given us to come together and to hear from your word. We thank you, God, that you are near to those who are brokenhearted and that you are powerful enough to melt the hearts of those who are very strong-willed. And so, God, we are praying, will you change us? Lord, we are so weak in so many areas. We are so poor in so many ways. Lord, we desire to have a God-centered worldview and a, a, and a God-glorifying worldview. But Lord, there are so many compartments in our life where we don't have you even in the conversation. And so God, will you bring it to surface tonight and help us to see what areas we do not have you as the starting point, where we are not continuing with you and where we do not end with you. Lord, we pray, help us to have these lenses on every time we, we deal with reality around us and ourselves. God, we know that you are the only one able to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and bear much fruit. And so, Lord, we as a church submit ourselves knowing that we are at your mercy and that you are a good father who grants good things to his children. And so, Lord, will you now open our hearts to receive your truth and put this into practice. We pray that we will have a steady and perhaps even an ex exponential growth in our sanctification one week from today. God, you're so good. You're so marvelous. We thank you, God, that we can rest on the finished work of Christ, knowing that he had a perfectly God-centered and God-glorifying worldview. And on the work of your son, Jesus, we can come boldly into your presence and ask that we be like him. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit tonight. God, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Move among us and have your way. Sustain us. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.